You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. No one in the FBI knew I was gay. Uh, it was uh, People I worked with for, for 20 years later on when they found out were totally shocked. Uh, just a, a regular agent like everyone else. Former FBI agent Frank Bottino. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Happy Pride Month! You know, it wasn't all that long ago that the FBI was pretty much the domain exclusively of straight white men. Even years after the passing of iconic FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover, the discriminatory practices he put in place remained in place. That is, until an agent named Frank Bottino came along in the late 1960s. He established an exemplary 20-year career with the FBI, including some very high-profile cases. He even worked on the, like the D.B. Cooper case, for example. He became one of their most trusted agents. That is, until he was outed. And once the FBI learned of his sexual orientation, it wasn't long before Frank Patino was fired. But it wasn't long after that that he filed a lawsuit. And his lawsuit pretty much led directly to the end of the FBI's discriminatory homophobic practices. In fact, it opened the door for gays and lesbians throughout the federal government. I met Frank in the summer of 1993. Now, at that point, his lawsuit was actually still pending. He didn't know yet how it was going to come out, but he had just written his autobiography, a book called A Special Agent. So here now, from 1993, Frank Bottino. Why did you write this book? Well, initially, uh, it looked like the FBI was uh, going to be able to have my lawsuit dismissed. I filed a lawsuit uh, three years ago, and they immediately moved to to have the case thrown out. So it looked like uh, the case was going to get thrown out, and uh, no one would ever know. Uh, exactly how they treated me. But interesting, the, the, uh, the, the goal has really changed uh, because now the, the case is a class action suit. And uh, in the book, uh, we have the experiences of other gays and lesbians who were also uh, um, fired by the FBI, pressured into resigning, I should say. I'm probably jumping ahead a little bit too, too far in the story too fast, but the, 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 at the end of the book, you said that the trial was, was set to begin this month. What's the status of it now? Uh, it's been put off until September. And as I say, it is a class action suit and a reinstatement lawsuit. Uh, I want to, to get my job back. I want to go back to work for the FBI. And if we win, we'll also protect all the other gays and lesbians in the FBI. Now, this is not the story of a man who for 20 years was an open, flaming gay person throughout the FBI, harassing your coworkers, making passes at the guys in the office and all that. This was not you at all. No. I, uh, actually, I came in the FBI in 1969. It's a 24-year-old man. Came in when J. Edgar Hoover was the, was the director. Thought I was heterosexual. I had dated women, been intimate with women. Uh, as I... Got into my career about five or six years into the career, I began to realize that I was gay. Thought I was bisexual, but as time went on, I realized I was gay. So I kept it hidden, obviously, uh, afraid that I would be fired if the FBI ever found out I was gay. And uh, ultimately, you were proven correct. Uh, yes, I had the feeling that if they found out, uh, uh, I, I would be fired. And, and getting back to your earlier uh, question, uh, no one in the FBI knew I was gay. Uh, it was uh, people I worked with for, for 20 years later on when they found out were totally shocked. Uh, just a, a regular agent like everyone else. 
doing not just doing his job, but doing an exemplary job. I was uh, I became one of the FBI's most trusted agents, and interestingly enough, uh, I continued to work for the FBI for a year and a half after they knew I was gay. My coworkers didn't know I was gay, but my supervisors did. They put me in charge of one of the most important investigations, a terrorism investigation in San Diego. They promoted me after they knew I was gay. I uh, got my 20-year service award. I thought I was going to survive. Unfortunately, the people at headquarters that make the ultimate decisions in these kinds of cases uh, fired me, viewing me as a a threat to national security. Well, obviously you are. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here sitting here in my (laughs) studio right now. I could tell at the moment I saw you. It's just the whole irony. How were you outed? Basically, I'd written a letter to uh, to the personal ads of a, a gay newspaper. I, I signed my first name. I didn't sign my last name. I didn't tell the person, obviously, that I was an FBI agent. I was looking for a relationship with someone. Um, somehow, this person found out uh, uh, I was an FBI agent and wrote a letter not only to the FBI, forwarding my letter, but also wrote a letter to my parents, um, which caused them a, a great deal of stress. Why would somebody do that? Good question. I I talk about it in the book. Um, uh, Some of my friends and some of the people that read the book think uh, it might be the FBI that, in fact, set me up. Uh, Others uh, uh, think that it was just someone, for whatever strange reason, decided uh, to out me, which is is exactly what happened. Would it be too outlandish to think that maybe the FBI or some police or government agency does this from time to time to see if people in sensitive positions are trying to communicate with other gays. It, it's a possibility. Uh, I kind of leave that up to the readers and everyone when they, they get done and, and, and talk to me about the book has their own uh, feelings about that. Certainly an argument could be made for both sides of that question. But certainly once, once the, 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 whoever, this, whoever did this and for whatever the reason, once the, the, the action is taken, once it's out in the open, you've got to deal with it then. Oh, yeah. What, what basically happened was uh, I initially denied writing this letter because I was afraid, obviously, uh, that I would be fired. I thought maybe the FBI would just drop it. I was a good agent. Uh, there was no allegation of wrongdoing, just an allegation that I was homosexual. However, they decided to pursue it. They brought me back to Washington. Um, their first concerns w- uh, were that uh, I was a spy. I was working for counterintelligence and terrorism. That was their first concern. I put their their fears aside on that. Then they got into my personal life, and that was probably the most intrusive. They wanted to know the names of other gays and lesbians in the FBI. They wanted to know the names of my gay and lesbian friends outside of the FBI. They wanted to know the intimate details of my homosexual conduct. Uh, I wouldn't give them the names of other people without their permission, and that was one of the reasons they used to fire me. Lack of cooperation. And, of course, had you been caught in in an illicit heterosexual relationship, they would have demanded all that same information, right? Had the letter come in and said, Frank Patino is a heterosexual, they would have wadded it up and thrown it away and say, God, we're happy about that. And they wouldn't have asked for names, dates, places. They certainly wouldn't ask you what you and your illicit heterosexual lover did uh, in, in bed. What's interesting is um, they wanted to know, obviously, if I had sex with another FBI employee. And I said, yes. Uh, I said, I won't give you any names. So they pursued it. And finally, I said, it was a female agent, which it was. And uh, that was the, they put the pens down. And that was the end of the questioning on that and moved on to other homosexual uh, conduct. Where do you draw the line, though, between I – mean, certainly, I mean, people will blanch at, at being asked who your partners were, what did you do. 
But on the other hand, let's be practical and pragmatic about this. In an age when uh, AIDS is, is spread so, so commonly, when health insurance that the public has to pay for, if it's the FBI's health insurance, will have to pay for that, do they not at some point have a legitimate right to ask, have you perhaps been intimate with someone who has given you a disease that now we, the taxpayers, will have to pay for? Uh, perhaps in a situation like that. Of course, um, you know, in the FBI, we're not like the military. Uh, we're not in close sleeping arrangements uh, with each other. Uh, we go back to our homes at night. Uh, there may be people in the FBI now with uh, terminal diseases such as cancer and, and all of those things. Uh, I think when it gets to a point where it interferes with your job, you're not able to perform your job, uh, our job sometimes is very physical, then I think they have a legitimate uh, reason uh, to ask uh, about your health status. But one of the points of my lawsuit is that a a person should be judged by their ability to do their job. And that's the main point of what I'm saying, and not by something that really doesn't matter. You weren't, I'd take it, really surprised at what happened after the letter came out, were you? Uh, no, actually, you know, but there's always that glimmer of hope that, you know, I'd been an agent for 20 years, one of their most trusted agents, uh, all kinds of commendations, a leader in the office. I thought, well, maybe they'll just ignore this. But... Uh, my, my, my gut feeling was they weren't going to uh, ignore it. And I, and I want to make the point that um, even though J. Edgar Hoover has been uh, dead for almost uh, 21 years now, um, a lot of his attitudes about a lot of things still prevail in the FBI. After this short break, what about J. Edgar Hoover? Now back to my 1993 interview with Frank Bettino. Was Hoover gay? There is no doubt in my mind that he was. He was a closeted homosexual man. And I based that on what I knew about him while he was alive, my 20 years in the Bureau, everything I've read about him, and I think my own insight as a uh, as a uh, gay man. Obviously, he was very closeted about his life, and unfortunately, he was the type of closeted gay person who hates himself for being gay. That's the way I look at it. It's my opinion. And takes out his hatred on other people. And not just homosexuals. And he was very concerned with heterosexuals' lives, sex lives. But certainly, if, if, you, if you look at him as a gay individual and all the policies that he helped put in place at the FBI, uh, and, and in the light of this, this self-hatred that you talk about, everything, it, it all makes sense. It all falls right into place then. And, you know, and Hoover was born in the last century. And uh, when, when I came in the FBI, there were no female agents. There were very few blacks. There were very few Latino or other minorities. So he had all of these prejudices uh, from the past. And he ran the FBI um, as a dictator. And uh, some of the people that are in power now, some of the people that, uh, that had a part in the decision to, to get me fired, to, which resulted in me being fired, are, are still in power in, in the FBI. And so that thinking, this is really a legacy of J. Edgar Hoover. Let me come back to something you were saying a moment ago about the, the, the contrasts between the FBI and, say, the military. But are there not also parallels as well? You, you have to be – certainly you're a well-disciplined force. You have certain rules of, of command and, and a certain chain of discipline. Is that not broken if there's an individual within the ranks? Again, the, the same argument they're using with the gays in the military. Is there not a certain 
disruption there if you have a person in the midst that makes other people uncomfortable? Yes, I think that's a possibility. But usually it gets down to personalities. Um, uh, we've had people in our offices, guys I've worked with uh, and gals on uh, particular cases that are very difficult uh, to get along with. They are a disruptive force. Um, my feeling was, uh, uh, obviously, I never brought my homosexuality in the office. People were were, were very surprised. Um, it's just like bringing religion or anything else in the office. We're paid to do a job. The, the uh, the taxpayers expect that we will do it, we'll do it professionally, and leave our own personal opinions and prejudices uh, at home. But Mike Signorelli makes a point in his book recently that you, you, are, you can never leave your sexuality alone. If, if somebody asks you, well, how's the wife? You know, you go, oh, how fine, you know, or guys will talk about their weekend conquest. Or even if you go off for the weekend to someplace that is known for the kind of people that, that, uh, that populate that particular area, you're talking about it all the time. It's a very difficult thing to, uh, to, to kind of keep that uh, to yourself. But, you know, we're conditioned. Gay people uh, are closeted gay people, and there are a lot of them in our society, are conditioned from day one, the first moment that you think you might be gay, to keep it to yourself. You keep it secret. And what you end up doing is compartmentalizing your life. Uh, even my family didn't know I was gay. So when they would talk to me about things, I, I kind of kept my distance from them, uh, from uh, the people in the office. I would work with guys for two or three years on investigations, sit in cars, do surveillances. Um, they, you know, I'd leave that information out. Uh, only a, a few uh, close uh, gay friends would actually know the real me. So um, I don't know. You know, an, F an FBI agent uh, lives uh, his life, uh, for the most part, in anonymity. Uh, we're very secretive about our lives, so maybe I was well see, uh, suited to be a closeted uh, gay FBI agent. Well, I did find a great deal of irony, as I'm sure you intended in the telling of the story, that your uh, training at, with the FBI helped in this compartmentalization immensely. Yeah, um, but, you know, looking back now, uh, now that uh, much of this is over and I'm certainly very publicly uh, gay, I realized that I paid an enormous price for, for doing that. I really distanced myself from other people. I didn't connect with a lot of people that I should have connected with. They never really got to know me, and as a result, I didn't get to know them. They, they always liked me, and many of them loved me, but they always felt this barrier between us. And what's nice now is uh, the barrier is no longer there. Uh, my parents are elderly. Um, they've lived long enough to really uh, get to know me must have made you horribly uncomfortable to, to be uh, back at the coffee room, the guys standing around smoking cigarettes, telling fag jokes. Well, initially, um, you know, I'd, I'd laugh along uh, with them uh, uh, the first few years, and I, I've probably had a little self-hatred of my own. But as time went on in the last few years, especially while I was under investigation and no one in the office knew, uh, when you hear these kinds of jokes... Um, I'd really take it personal. Uh, I had friends um, living with AIDS, uh, friends dying of AIDS, and to hear the comments, and, and it wasn't pervasive in the FBI, but occasionally you'd hear it. Uh, the FBI is not a totally homophobic organization. A lot of people are, are pretty open to that, but uh, when, I, when I would hear it... Um, it got to a point that it would bother me. Uh, I would uh, respond sometimes angrily, and I'm sure people wondered why I would respond so angrily. Um, it's about self-esteem. It's about listening to people talk about you and, and people like yourself and uh, feeling like a coward. I, I don't feel like a coward anymore. Do you think there are many people who are still in the closet at the FBI? 
Absolutely. Uh, as I, I didn't know any, you know, so when they asked me initially, uh, we want the names of other gays and lesbians, I wouldn't give it to them. I didn't tell them that I didn't know any. But since I filed the lawsuit, uh, other gays have, and lesbians have come forward. They've joined me in the class action suit. Uh, but they've done it under John Doe and Jane Doe because they're afraid. In fact, about a week ago, I get a call from a lesbian FBI agent. Uh, she knows other lesbians and gays in the FBI. I've, I've gotten to know several, actually. Um, everyone's following my case very carefully. Um, what's interesting, um, if there's a, um, a positive side to all of this, since I filed my lawsuit, the FBI has allowed four gay employees to continue working for the FBI. One's an agent, three are support people. However... They're not openly gay. In other words, their colleagues don't know. FBI headquarters uh, knows. Well, I'm afraid, of course, if I lose the lawsuit, and these people are following the case very carefully too, that uh, the witch hunt may begin and the FBI may feel that they have a license now to get rid of these people. So I think they were afraid that these people would join my lawsuit and there would be more adverse publicity. What's interesting, uh, the Bureau didn't know about the book until it uh, really came out, which surprised me. Uh, It was a shock to people in the FBI, although I had been working on the book for three years. I'm very optimistic. I I think the times are changing. Um, There's been some backlash to the president's uh, uh, thoughts about uh, uh, stopping uh, the uh, separation of gays and lesbians from the military. But the good part of it, and I think of things like this show, uh, the book, the debate over gays in the military, is that I think there's a lot of ignorance uh, and lack of knowledge about gays and lesbians in our society. And the more they know us, uh, and and it's been my experience with people in the FBI, once they know a person as an individual, I think a lot of that prejudice is put aside. Frank Patino died in 2018. He was 73. And you can get your copy of A Special Agent by clicking on the link in our show notes or by going to our website, heardeverything.com. And that's where you'll also find my 1996 interview with the half-sister of one of the most conservative American politicians, LGBTQ activist Candace Gingrich. I am a blood relative of the man who is the, the head of the Republican Revolution, who has ushered in this new brand of conservatism that you believe in. Therefore, quit lying to people. Gays come from all kinds of American families, and you can't stereotype us. And my conversation with a famous actor from the 1950s who had to remain closeted back then because of what coming out would do to his career, my 2005 interview with Tab Hunter. The audiences were changing. They were more youth-oriented audiences then. They were ready for Tab Hunter. Well, not only for Tab Hunter, for (laughs) Natalie Wood, Jimmy (laughs) Dean, Tony Curtis. And of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. Would you do me a favor? If you liked today's interview, would you please subscribe to Now I've Heard Everything? And would you tell a friend about us? Thank you so much. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything... Sixty years have now passed since the assassination of civil rights icon Medgar Evers. So we'll revisit my 1998 conversation with his widow, Merle Evers Williams. Medgar told me not to hate. He said, Merle, for those that you hate, most of them don't know it. For those who do know it, they could care less. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson.